You're listening to Foreseeable, a production of Globalization, the flagship digital platform of Singapore's Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. Each episode, we invite an expert for a conversation relating to their field of study or experience and to find out what they foresee happening in the future. It's time for ASEAN to act and lead the de-escalation and mediation process in Myanmar. That's the main message of a paper published by the Institute of Southeast Asian Studies, co-authored by our guest, Yongwook Ryu, assistant professor at the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy, together with Bernard Bin and Miet Miet Mon, who are both Master in Public Policy candidates at LKYSPP. Professor, maybe if we could start, just perhaps uh, you could tell us a little bit about the, uh, the paper that you've just written. Yes, so I and a couple of uh, my students from Myanmar, we decided to co-author a paper on the uh, current situation uh, in Myanmar. The main message that we wanted to get out through that paper is, yes, there's the principle of non-intervention that ASEAN has always cherished, but there's also you know, an entirely new set of right, principles, norms, and values that ASEAN has been trying to promote, at least for the past 20 years. And therefore, the ASEAN's approach towards the current uh, political situation in Myanmar has to be this delicate balancing uh, act between emphasis on uh, norm of non-intervention, but also emphasis on these other norms, principles, and values. And our view is that if the military in Myanmar continues to violate these other norms, values, and principles, such as principles of democracy, good governance, rule of law, constitutional government, promotion and protection of human rights, then ASEAN should be prepared to take some hardline actions. And one specific uh, recommendation that uh, we made is if the situation turns sour and gets worse uh, due to the military's violent crackdown of the pro-democracy protesters, then ASEAN should be prepared to maybe temporarily suspend Myanmar's membership of ASEAN. So we got that message out to the public. Absolutely, absolutely. So this is, I mean, this is really ASEAN's biggest challenge since the Vietnamese uh, invasion of Cambodia in the 80s. Is this a make or break moment for, for ASEAN? Okay, so that, I mean, that's actually a big question. So I don't know, right? My, my crystal ball is not as clear as someone else's. As you said, right, I do think that this is the most serious existential threat to ASEAN since Vietnam's invasion of Cambodia in the late 1970s, not only because it puts in danger ASEAN's long-standing objective of keeping the region in peace, free of external military intervention, but also explicitly and you know, egregiously violates right, ASEAN's norms, principles, and values. And therefore, it will weaken ASEAN's centrality, relevance, and unity but also it defeats ASEAN's social purpose, right? What, you know, why, why does ASEAN exist if it cannot handle a major political situation in its own neighborhood? So, yes, so I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a major issue for ASEAN to deal with. Before we go into the implications for ASEAN and the possible implications of suspending or, ex, or you know, expelling Myanmar's membership, I'd just like to ask Bernard and uh, Miet Miet, what are you hearing from your friends and you know, colleagues and family on the ground in Myanmar? So in Yangon, things are, things are very bad. So Yangon is, I would say, is in complete chaos. So I have seen photos of, you know, factories being banned down that spread to houses and then police shooting in the neighborhood and then police started shooting the protest. The protester 
was found to be dead and then dragged away. And then some of the bodies cannot even be obtained by the family itself. So things are, things are, things are really, really bad right? back home. It's a dreadful toll. The protest movement seems to be very much driven by the youth. Yes, most people who shot are young people. So the youngest I could see so far is only 15. Is, she's only 15. She hasn't, she hasn't even finished her high school yet. Yeah, it's dreadful, dreadful. Bernard, what are, you, um, what are you hearing from your friends? I think what we need to also recognize on the ground that the Myanmar people are very much at a point of desperation. If you understand the kind of brutality that they are undergoing from day to day and the fact that they're living in fear of people being killed on site with the intention being shot to kill overnight, that there are terrorists kind of tactics of terrorism where people are being kidnapped overnight from their, the safety of their own homes. And the people are very much in a point of desperation, almost reaching out to try find any form to make progress in, in terms of, I guess, alleviating the situation at, at this moment. And I think what you also have to understand in terms of where is this desperation coming from? And we started off before the pre-coup in terms of suffering from economic crisis as a result of COVID. We had an outbreak of COVID back in September or August last year, and it had been getting worse. And so a lot of people, especially those of lower socioeconomic backgrounds, were suffering to begin with. And now they're at such a point of desperation where they feel like we would rather die fighting for a future of democracy than live under a military junta. This is the voice of desperation that people are willing to die um, because they're at a point where they are so broken down, especially by the past impact of COVID as well. And this couldn't be a worse time for such a thing to happen, for, for the military coup to take place. It's, it's really a loss of hope, isn't it? I mean, Myanmar, after the democratic transition, it was a bright, bubbling, fast-growing economy, a very hopeful, very um, optimistic place. And now that seems to have been erased. And I guess the, the feeling on the ground must be a sense of hopelessness because we all know that the, the military aren't the type to sort of back down. That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in, in some ways there is some hope that's being provided. And you see that in the, the language of social media where people feel like we're in this uh, together as well to try and make ourselves and pave a way for a better Future. So I, I think in that way, there, there is a sense of unity that might even in such dark times can provide some form of hope as well that we are in this together and uh, we want a better future for everybody. In your paper, you, you use the term massive violence and if the situation got to, to massive violence and, and we've seen a sharp escalation in the death toll since um, your paper was published. Have we reached that situation of massive violence and, or, and how, how do you characterize that? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to put right specific number. It's always going to be sort of qualitative assessments, not just looking at the number of deaths, but also the magnitude of the situation. I think there's a you know, fairly good chance and, and looks uh, uh, as if it's going to degenerate into a major political disorder, right? Uh, because both parties, the military and the protesters, are taking a very hard line. Right? So the military initially made some conciliatory statement towards the international community. Since then, it has resulted to right, brutal force right, and, and coercion, killing innocent protesters. The protesters, on the other hand, right, have also taken a very hardline position, and they are not willing to give in to the military, right, uh, and they want nothing less than return of full power to the NLD, and maybe even the sort of punishment of the top military generals or expelling them from, from Myanmar. 
So since these two parties are taking a very hard line position, it's hard to find room to maneuver for negotiated outcome. And if that's the case, I think uh, you know it could evolve into a major political disorder. Now, have we uh, actually reached uh, this stage of massive violence? I mean, I think I think we are getting close to it. And you know, something that has been really surprising to me is we haven't seen more, much urgency uh, coming from ASEAN, right? So you know, there was an initial ASEAN meeting earlier this month. It issued a statement, but since then, you know, ASEAN has also gone into sort of a quiet mode. And given the the serious nature of this uh, political crisis in Myanmar for ASEAN's existence, you know, it's really surprising to me that, you know, we haven't seen much action coming from ASEAN. Of the members of ASEAN, who's going to be able to drive this and, and, and where will the cracks appear? Because I imagine that you're going to have some members of ASEAN who probably favour a more interventionist approach, but there are going to be other members of ASEAN who very clearly don't want that. Where, where are the cracks going to appear? First of all, I wouldn't use the, the language of intervention. I would actually uh, call it being caring towards other members of Southeast Asia. It's being non-indifferent to a major situation in your neighborhood. And whenever we speak of intervention, right, it automatically invokes this uh, sort of adverse and negative memories of colonialism right, of Southeast Asian countries. I don't think anybody is advocating military intervention in Myanmar. It's all about political engagement with both the military and the protesters so that they could find some sort of negotiated outcome. So that's the first point. Um, the second point, right, it will have to be Indonesia, right? So Indonesia has always been de facto leader within ASEAN, and Indonesia has also taken initiative, along with Brunei, which is the chair country for ASEAN this year, to start uh, consultation within ASEAN. Right? And then it was the Indonesian foreign minister who flew to Myanmar to meet with the uh, CRPH, right, the perceived representative organization of NLD and the protesters, as well as the military, which led to the, the informal ASEAN ministry meeting on the 2nd and 3rd of March, which produced a statement. But since then, right, it's, as I said, ASEAN has gone back into more quiet mode. And I think, you know, it's time really for ASEAN to get its house in order and take specific actions, right, uh, and policies on this particular issue. I mean, it's not time for ASEAN to sit idly and watch what's happening. There's got to be a lot more urgency coming from ASEAN. I guess it's also it's this this Southeast Asian identity and sticking up for the for Southeast Asian people. I guess is the question whether ASEAN can be the body that that actually affects that. We don't know whether it can be the body, but it is the only body that can do it. And you know, it has also paid a lot of lip service in the past to its own centrality in shaping regional affairs. So if it's not doing anything about this Myanmar situation, then obviously it's weakening its own centrality. And if you look at this statement that I mentioned, right, that, that was released after the, the informal ASEAN ministry meeting, there was a paragraph two, which emphasizes all these communal values, right, the constitutional government, rule of law, uh, protection and promotion of human rights, and so on and so forth. You know, there's a little point in reciting these good values and principles, unless you actually take actions to uphold them. Right? And it is time for ASEAN to take actions to uphold these principles and show that ASEAN is made of not just this protective sort of in, non-interventionist principle, but also all these other positive norms and principles, which suggest that ASEAN is a genuine regional community where people care about things that happen right, in the neighborhood. 
Structurally, what's stopping ASEAN from doing this? So my sense is that it's actually going through a consultation stage within ASEAN. So the way ASEAN operates is based on consultation and consensus. So that's why it takes a long time, right? When we need urgency, it still needs to go through this consultation with all the other members. So I think that's where ASEAN is. And of course, not everybody is on the same page right, as to what to do. I think there are some members, such as Indonesia, the Philippines, and maybe supported by Malaysia and Singapore, that push for slightly hard uh, line action towards the military. And then there are other members of ASEAN that are either indifferent or sympathetic right, to the situation that the military in Myanmar uh, is in. So, for example, you know, Thailand, which is typically a sort of, you know, has a very active civil society right, groups, which, you know, which upholds right, human rights and so on and so forth, uh, has been very quiet. And we know why, right? Because Thailand <laughs> had its own military coup. Therefore, you know, it doesn't want to make a big deal out of this military coup in Myanmar. And then the uh, more authoritarian right, uh, governments in Indochina, they also don't want to um, say too much negative things uh, against the military. Maybe there's some Right, government-to-government connections between uh, these other authoritarian uh, South Asian member states and the military in Myanmar. Within ASEAN, there's a diverse set of views on this issue. That's why ASEAN is not you know, able to take uh, concrete action towards the current situation in Myanmar. What, are, what would the implications be of suspending Myanmar's membership? You um, say that's one solution in, the, in your paper or one suggested action, but could that actually then sort of push them outside the room, so to speak. Yes, the danger of suspending Myanmar's membership of ASEAN is to push Myanmar closer to China, to Beijing. We know that the military cannot rely on the UN or US or the West or Japan, for that matter. So there's only one right outside option, which is Beijing. And of course, that's not a positive development for ASEAN. But you know, my view is that we are already in a situation where we cannot seek to maximize on all these other right, values or goals that ASEAN is going after. I think this is a time for ASEAN to choose which values and norms and principles it wants to uphold and which ones it's willing to give up. Right? So the danger of right, uh, suspending Myanmar's membership of ASEAN is to push Myanmar towards Beijing and maybe invite external right, political intervention, which is not good. But if you don't do it, the, the downside of not taking such an action is you're going to weaken your own social existence and purpose. You're going to weaken your centrality in shaping regional affairs, and you're going to disrespect your own values and principles. We think that ASEAN need to suspend temporarily uh, Myanmar's membership, and we recognize there's a uh, potential downside, but we want to give more weight and, and emphasis to these communal values, the norms and principles of good governance, constitutional government, human rights, and so on and so forth. That's our view, but we actually understand the concerns and, and dangers and risks of doing this. Bernard and, and Mia, Mia, what do you think would be the view on the ground uh, of being suspended by ASEAN? And also, what's the view on the ground in Myanmar of China and perhaps a closer, a closer alignment to China if that happened? The idea of suspension or even revoking Myanmar's membership from ASEAN does resonate with the broader Myanmar public. I think broadly speaking, it is something that's very challenging and a step for ASEAN to take as well. But 
one of the perspectives also to have in this case is ASEAN is very much a family that they consider themselves as a very close tight-knit family of, of 10 different members. And within kind of the relationship of this family, in, in a way, Myanmar has always posed challenges given that some of the past history and events that they've taken, whether it be the, the crisis in Rakhine State, whether it be the Saffron Revolution and Cyclone Nargis, as well as back in the 1990s and the coup from that, it's always hasn't quite set well within the ASEAN family and the ASEAN Charter as well and the values that they state in that. But the principal point to make in that space is that bad behavior gone unpunished only continues to beget continuous bad behavior in the future. And this is where a stronger stance needs to be taken. What would be the view in, in Myanmar of potential closer alignment with China? Uh, so before I talk about China, let me add one point on ASEAN. I have seen people asking to suspend Myanmar membership to ASEAN. People really want the, the military general to be isolated and to be not connected with any of the international partners. So the on-ground men from Myanmar, they really want ASEAN to suspend Myanmar's membership. So talking about China, uh, on Sunday, in one of the industrial township in Yango, what happened was that two Chinese factory has been banned down and the military and the police started to surround the neighborhood and the, the, the whole township's in lockdown. Yep. More than 70 people has been shot to death. This is just a reported number only in one day in that same township. So the Chinese factory has been banned out and the Chinese embassy on the same day has released a statement calling the protesters as rioters and started to ask the military personnel and the police to protect their exes and Chinese citizens. But the protesters denied these allegations that they did not bend down the uh, Chinese factory because why do they have to bend down? Because those factories are very close to their neighborhood and the fires can even spread to their neighborhood. After the Chinese embassy has released such a statement, the military regime, they imposed the martial law in five townships in Yangon. So what the martial law can do is that the uh, regional commander, uh, he has the sole authority for the judicial or other powers. So right now is sort of there are some anti-China sentiment going on in Myanmar. And then for the Chinese, for now, because the military is in power, it is very realistic and it is very possible that the Chinese will side with the military to protect their access and the oil and gas pipeline in the short term. But in the long term, I would say is ignoring the people's desire is really not good for China image in Myanmar in the very long run. I think at this moment, the anti-China sentiment is growing and growing and Chinese government really should consider their diplomacy and their engagement with the Myanmar people. This is all very interesting. I know that these two folks uh, told me once that the, the military in Myanmar does not actually trust Beijing all that much. It's really the last option for the military to go under Chinese influence. And I think that's where ASEAN's leverage over the military right, comes from. And that's the first point. And second point is, I think the, the Beijing government is not so naive and it doesn't actually care whether it's the military or Aung San Suu Kyi that's in power, so long as either one of them or both of them are pro-Beijing and willing to cooperate with 
with Beijing's various Belt and Road Initiative projects in Myanmar. Right now, there is a sort of this political uh, conflict in Myanmar. The Chinese government is watching the situation very carefully. If the military wins this domestic conflict, then yes, Beijing will support the military so that it can do projects in Myanmar. Uh, but it also wants to make sure that the ordinary uh, people in Myanmar would not become so anti-Chinese because, you know, political regimes come and go, whereas these public sentiments can last much longer. So Beijing doesn't want to get right, involved in the situation in such an explicit manner. That's why we haven't seen much action coming from Beijing. I think all the major parties are sort of pushing ASEAN from uh, behind the scene, pushing ASEAN to do right, uh, uh, mediation work. And as Bernard mentioned, you know, I think our immediate focus should be on mediation and bringing the parties to the negotiating table. We are only advocating a temporary suspension of Myanmar as a last resort policy. If the situation doesn't improve, if the military continues its violent crackdown of the protesters, that's when ASEM should be prepared for hardline measures against the military. Yeah, can I add one more point? The quasi-democratic government from 2010 to 2015, that quasi-democratic government led by the military generals, they did not really have a proper relationship with China because the Myasong Dam, which is a strategically located hydropower dam project in the northern Myanmar, was suspended by the quasi-democratic government. Since then, China has been a little bit worried about such kind of projects being suspended by their former friends. And then during the Dong San Suji period, what also drove hard to lean more towards China was the uh, Rohingya crisis in Rakhine State. So a lot of the uh, Western partner has condemned um, the crisis. And then for her government, it was just China to rely on that. And then the Chinese government, at the same time, their diplomacy was also expanded to different layers of political entities and public. For example, they invited political parties to come and meet with the CCP in Beijing. They offer a lot of scholarship to the Myanmar students and the Chinese government. They really wanted to maintain positive image of China uh, with their public diplomacy in Myanmar during the Suji period. How does that compare with um, the, the perception that, like the soft power of some of the ASEAN states in Myanmar? Does, does ASEAN have soft power in, in Myanmar? So far, yeah, because the people, and you know, ASEAN is very culturally connected, like Thailand and Cambodia. We share a lot of same culture, same type of food and etc. But especially after the inaction by ASEAN has drove the people to not very positive view toward ASEAN as an institution, but not ASEAN people, because the other ASEAN people, what we call MICTI alliance, like Malaysian, there's a MICTI alliance group in Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand. So these political activists in other ASEAN countries have already made it clear that uh, they stand with Myanmar. So the people are very connected with people to people, but not with the institution, I would say. On that point, I think we'll probably wrap it up, but maybe I could ask each of you to to give us a little forecast of what you think might happen in the next uh, month or so. My speculation is very pessimistic because uh, we just received news last night that the whole country will be, the in, in internet will be shut down. So which means that all the communications back to Myanmar will be cut off. 
the people from outside Myanmar, we won't be able to see what is going on inside the country or whether they are killing people or, you know, the building is being burned down. So all the information will be cut out very, very soon and things will be terrible. Yeah, it's going to be a dreadful situation. Bernard, what do you see happening? In- I'll try to share a slightly more optimistic view. In terms of where the trajectory is headed, uh, we're headed towards very much more escalated violence. But that does not mean that we're not at a point of no return at this point. The window of opportunity is very, very quickly narrowing. But we are still at a point where ASEAN can still play a critical role to push forward mediation as well between the two parties of the protesters and the military generals as well. And I'm still optimistic that because that is one of our very few hopes to to depend on that we can reach a resolution and we don't need to resort to massive violence because as Matt has alluded to before, it won't we won't see a civil war because it's not arms against arms. Um, we will see a very violent outcome. And I think that's something that we must uh, avoid and we must hope for a resolution to the situation. Um, Professor Ryu, I'll give you the last word. Thanks. So, yeah, so similar to these uh, wonderful uh, young people, yeah, immediately I think, you know, the situation will not improve. So we'll probably see a bit more violence and a few more killings here and there. If ASEAN steps up and, and steps in right, to mediate between the two parties, then I think, you know, we will need to pay attention to exactly what the negotiated outcome could become. We might go back to the, the 1990s, you know, sort of some sort of political compromise between the military and the NLD, then we are actually back to the square one. Or if the military is willing to make more concessions, then we will see a bit more improved version of democracy in Myanmar. If the protesters give in and the military right, insist on its own current position, then we know that you know, we are actually going back to earlier period in Myanmar's history. I think the most likely scenario is if ASEAN mediation succeeds, then it will be similar to the 2012-ish when the NLD and the military somehow managed to come to an agreement whereby the military gets 25% of seats right, in, the, in the National Assembly. There's a free election, right, and then the public votes right, NLD into power and that sort of sort of power sharing arrangement. But we know that you know that cannot be the final resolution. Right? We've tried that. That's only an interim outcome. The final outcome has to be something else. And there, you know, I think we need to give more weight to the people, not the military. Uh, so in the end, it's the people of Myanmar that need to decide the future form and matter of the political regime and governance in Myanmar. And that's what we need to respect. Thanks very much. Uh, this is the Foreseeable Podcast, and we've been speaking to Professor Yongwook Ryu and students Bernard Min and Miet Miet Mon from the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. Thanks very much for being yes, with us. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. If you'd like to subscribe to the Globalization newsletter, look for the link in the description or find us on Facebook at Global Is Asian. Global is Asian.